Gilded Age Live Part Gilded Two. Gilded Age Live Part Two. Yeah, I, I'm I'm enjoying this. I have to say, it's uh, it's a good, it's a good medium where we get to you know field questions and and whatnot from from people. Uh, today's episode, we are talking to Lindsay Boylan, who ran against Jerry Nadler uh, this this year unsuccessfully, but hopefully we'll see we'll see more. Um, yes, from yes. you. You're not and, getting rid of me yet. <laughs> fantastic. And today we're talking about retributive politics, uh, specifically in regards to a tweet from President-elect Joe Biden, um, where Biden said, uh, he, he tweeted, my dad used to say, Joey, I don't expect the government to solve my problems, but I expect it to understand my problems. Folks, aren't, folks out there aren't looking for a handout. They just need help. They're in trouble through no fault of their own, and they need us to understand. Initial reactions? I mean, I have a story about my mom, you know, growing up as a 16-year-old single mother on welfare, uh, having my sister and being endlessly ashamed and embarrassed about the whole experience in spite of that fact that she, you know, worked a full-time job, uh, still didn't get paid enough to make a living wage and uh, was endlessly ridiculed for being a young mother, for being a mother on food stamps. And all these things. And I think um, my initial reaction was this is the exact wrong message. Um, this is the wrong tone. This is not bringing people in. It's alienated pe people deeply who are experiencing pain, an entire progressive community, but a lot more than that, people who don't even engage in politics. And then on a personal level, I slept on it and I woke up more pissed because the stories that I've experienced and I've come a long way and gained a lot of privilege are totally different than the stories Joe's dad told him. And I think that's incredibly connected to whose voice has been heard and what, what our government has done both under Republicans and Democrats. Um, and this, this is such an indicator to me that we may be seeing a lot more um, early nineties, uh, democratic party or worse Reaganomics. Um, all of it sounded like a lot of that. I mean, a nicer way to say really, um, depressing things about what Americans are and what they need. And it just, it really pissed me off. So, I mean, it should be a conversation and not just me talking at you. So no, 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 no. Look, I look, it's, it's important uh, to, to give everybody their, their initial take, uh, you know, put it out there, lay it all out. Alex, what, what about you? What's your, what's your initial take on this? Um, well, you know, Joe Biden's won the election. It's, so you agree a hundred percent. Cool. Good. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Look, he's the president. So now that, he, now that he's the president, you know, everything's fine. Yeah. Stop helping um, Republicans. <laughs> although Walker, I was trying to go to brunch today and you scheduled this. So I didn't get to go to brunch. I, um, <laughs> but, but no, like, like when I say, so he, he has been elected. I mean, you know, who knows? Cause it didn't happen. Um, but, uh, the point is he's not trying to get votes anymore. He's already, he's going to be sworn in. He, even the, you know, even the Republicans in Georgia are telling him to screw off. So basically um, 
this is him. And he, he he's not pandering to Republicans to try to get their votes. This is who he is. And as you said, Lindsay, in early 90s, in the early 90s, Joe Biden was a middle-aged man. He was already a, a, a seasoned politician with a couple decades in the Senate already. So, um, you know, give or take a few years. So, I mean, this is this is a 78-year-old guy now. He's not going to change. And as we've seen with, with the cabinet appointments and things like that, his, yeah. his nominations, I should say, um, there's not a single progressive Mira! in the <laughs> There's not a single progressive in a leadership <laughs> position. You have a couple, one or two of the economic advisors are seen as progressives, but they're not leaders. They're not going to be heads of, of, of departments or agencies or even the head of the count, economic council. So um, listen, I mean, like, it's pretty obvious where this is going. It's not surprising. Um, but I think that, um, you know, in terms of actual, my actual take on this, I mean, um, I think it's, it's not only... Um, bad politics to just to say this at this point to to your base um but it's also bad economic policy i mean the best stimulus yeah. you can do during a pandemic when people are supposed to stay home and we've said this before in gilded age a bunch of times but give people money to stay home and the other thing is it's just good economic stimulus period because when you give low-income people money that money is going to go directly into the economy that is floundering currently it's not going to be invested it's not going to go offshore it's not going to sit in a savings account it will go in it directly into which in a way is fucked up stimulus. if you think about it, you know. Well, yeah, they're going to – because they don't have enough disposable income, so they need it. People need it. I mean, like yeah. – so th that's what I'm saying. It, it, it's just – it's bad politics and it's bad policy. So I, I don't really understand the point of him going and just saying that. But that's Yeah, just, I mean, uh, I think the Joe worst Biden. part of it is this – they didn't even – his team probably thought this was a slam dunk. It's it, I'm almost as frustrated at the people who surround him. I'm not sure the man even does the Twitter thing himself. And it wasn't just the video and the narrative. It was, it was the language chosen with it. And um, this isn't a small thing because it's showing us what our future leader thinks is going to bring people together or bring some people in. This was a bring in the tent moment. And, um, you know, yes, I live in New York city. I live in Manhattan. I've got a lot of privilege and opportunity and I understand that. And so do I know every, what every single quote unquote Trump voter is thinking about? No. Um, but in my experience of phone banking or my experience with my own family members in various levels of alienation at this point, uh, and what motivates them, like including the word handout. If anything, if that hits anyone, it's going to hit them. That is going to be the message. They heard the word handout and that is the message. Not as if, oh, listen, you know, we're, we're, we need to help people in pain. I mean, what would, I don't understand what the point of any of it was. If it was to show a real acknowledgement of people's pain, uh, I think it really did the opposite. And the biggest fear I have about this moment, one of the biggest fears I have about this moment in time is we're not even seeing the people who are suffering the most. The loudest voices are in many cases, people who have some kind of power, who have some kind of access to um, saying something about what they're suffering through. We're not even seeing the extent of it. I think this is worse than, um, you know, people talk in the seventies and the eighties in terms of the financial oversight board in New York city. I think it's much more systemic than that. People talk about a recession, it's a depression. And, and the idea that this is what, his team is bringing out of the cavern to, you know, move forward uh, is just totally insufficient to me. It, to me, it seems as though he has a, a lack of recognition of where we are in this moment. And maybe it's not him at all, but the team is who's going to be running the White House. And 
we're not in, someone said, oh, you know, Obama did the same thing. Well, we're not in a, oh, the Obama era. We're in a different time. That if, if the West Wing premiered this in this moment in time, I think very few people would be responsive to it. And also the Obama thing, like, like, oh, this, the Obama said the same thing. That's the fucking problem. Like, yes. like you yes. had, you had three years within three years of the worst financial meltdown since the great depression, you had a push for deficit reduction. Like, and, and, yeah. and these, these guys are going to means test themselves into irrelevance. Like this is the, this is the yeah. part that really aggravates exactly. me. It's like, you're exactly. treating, you're treating basic things that we should, that our government should be providing healthcare, housing, yeah. food, basic income, uh, fuck it. Like internet even. Yes. I mean, we have problems. Very with much internet right now. Remote That's, learning. I mean, yeah. Like, yes. Like internet, all of these basic things, they're, they're not handouts. They're, 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 they are basic services. It's modernity. It's, it's, it's the just, expectation you should have of your government. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's dignity. Yeah. It is a dignified life. Yes. People, yes. People, sadly, that's, you know, that's the riff within the, I mean, if you want within and without the Democratic Party, I mean, yes. it's a fundamental ideological difference. You know, do we yes. deserve healthcare? without cost you know do we deserve the uh, answer to all of these things by the way the simple answer as ex and, and i think that it's very hard to deny this in the face of this pandemic the simple answer is yes all of these things we should be providing because if we did we wouldn't have a situation like we have now where 270 plus thousand people are dead and 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 millions of people are being forced uh, back into back into offices and uh, and millions of people have lost their jobs and their health care. This is a catastrophe from the yeah. from from ever at every level. And for Biden to talk about handouts in, in yeah. as as in any way related to his response to that for me is just like, dude, fuck off. And I know I'm not supposed to say that as a journalist, but fuck no, off. I, I swear off a fair amount. I swear a fair amount, as you know. Um, I, I think that's the exact right reaction and. Um, it's shocking to me how disconnected the people who we just elected to do something better than the guy who's been there for something better, how disconnected they are from reality. That's what it really feels like. It feels like that message was a script from West Wing in the early 90s. And we are in dystopia time and, yeah. and they're still giving me their CD from like their <laughs> album from the early nineties. <laughs> and I just want to, you know, it makes it when you see people in pain, if you know them or you don't, you're like, how can this be how you're approaching these problems? How can this be rhetoric matters? It really does. I mean, uh, ugly rhetoric is in part what has made Donald Trump powerful in a part of this country and his ability to access that rhetoric really matters. And to start off by uh, some sort of more polite welfare queen refrain, which is what I heard. Yeah, um, that's exactly is, right. Is, is grotesque. And, and it, 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 it is a concern I have had, and I think a lot of us progressives have had about the whole party leadership, not just in terms of values, but in ability to deal with these really systemic problems of our day and inequality and climate change and systemic racism and all of it. He's coming at it with the playbook from from a different era. And it and we told him not to do this in the election cycle by supporting candidates who are much more progressive. And we we reminded him not to do this. He's but he's this is a message his team has heard 
throughout this period of time. And, they don't and that care. is what's so frustrating. Yeah, this is not this is not new. And then you get people saying, Oh, Lindsay or oh Walker, Alex, you know, give him a chance. No. It, like <laughs> if we're thinking about what's happening to Americans, you said almost three hundred thousand Americans died, countless number of New Yorkers, seniors, um, people are going hungry. Um, millions have been thrust into poverty. Over almost a million women left the workforce in September alone, all because of caregiving issues in my understanding. Like that, I don't, I'm, I am giving Dispro him a chance to do his job. That's it what disproportionately, I'm It disproportionately impacts women. It disproportionately yes. impacts communities of color, particularly yes. the black community and native Americans. Yes. It is, it is hurting the people who are most vulnerable the most. And yes, for any for assistance to be put in a basket, uh, the the labeled handout, or like you know they're not, or even even just vilifying like these people aren't looking for a handout. They're they're in trouble, and you know, and and government should understand that, but not necessarily solve problems. Like that is the role of government. The first yes. job of government is providing for the general welfare and exactly. common defense. And so if, I. I yeah. Sorry, I, I Alex. totally agreed. But um, first of all, in terms of the giving Biden a chance thing, um, people gave Obama a chance and very little got accomplished over eight years. And especially in those first two years, we had a watered down health care act. That was about it. So uh, progressives, including people like Jeff Hauser at the Revolving Door Project, groups like Demand Progress, Sunrise Movement, they're actually questioning and, and really uh, meticulously researching his potential cabinet picks and his advisors, yeah. unlike what people did in 2008. So this is just to say that like when people are critic critiquing Biden, whether it's on his messaging or it's on his picks, like that's very important. That's something that didn't happen in 2009. And so because people were just, oh, wow, it's, he's not, this is a new guy. He's, he seems really great and he's not George Bush. Um, but the other thing is that, you know, I'm glad, Lindsay, you, you referenced a Republican uh, campaign ad, the um, the or the welfare queen, I guess that was for probably yes. under H.W. Bush, right? One of their 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 things. Uh, so, um, you know, this really is it's it's not just bad policy and sort of the wrong message. It's Republican talking points. Um, yes. Basically, there's there is very yes. little difference between saying people don't want to hand out during a pandemic and saying there's givers and takers. There's 40 percent. 47% of Americans. The makers, the, the makers and the takers, baby. Exactly. Really, exactly. the makers, you know, the, the people in the other side of that equation, the, the so-called makers are often the ones, uh, first of all, who are taking the most. Super PACs uh, on both both sides of the aisle. But they're the ones who are evading taxes. They're the ones not paying the taxes. They're the ones making passive income yes. just sitting around. Right. As, and as and their underpaying their workers, right. like Walmart, directing their workers onto government assistance. Like who's who's really the the maker exactly. and the taker in that situation? They are the ones who are. And look, I think I think the really frustrating part, like another really frustrating part of this, is that we never question when co corporations need a bailout. When there's when there's a big yeah. need on Wall Street, or there's a big need, for, you know, Boeing needs needs uh, X amount of uh, billions. To, to save itself. We never question it. Even as they take that money and throw it into stock buybacks, we don't yeah. question it. That's their decision. No rainy day fund, not a problem. We got you the next time. But when it's people, when people are like, we need, we need money so that we can afford rent. We don't have to choose between electricity and groceries. That stuff, oh, well, well, we got to make sure that you really need it. Like, how do we define need in this country? And like it's just it is so staggering to me and so offensive. I saw it it's, and that's why we had to do this video. I know. It's just um 
there's so much I have to say about what you and Alex are saying. There's a million things to say. I just keep going to the fact that the pandemic um, highlights all the inequalities that we've been dealing with. And it also um, follows a huge progressive movement that has been challenging Democrats to be better about um, who they help and how they help, specifically helping people and focusing resources on people rather than all of these conversations around, you know, um, debt levels, all these conversations around the stock market, all the whole narrative of what has been the Democratic Party of constricting and confining the social safety net, which Bill Clinton was the king of, right? Um, so this is not new. And then we find ourselves here. And Joe Biden has said the same things. And um, uh, I think a good friend of mine from Twitter, Corey Johnson, he said something about comedian. He said something about how it places fa- people say, in no fault of their own. That is of no, no, has no relevance. Right. Especially in these times. We're talking about you know, major restorative justice moves. We're talking about a criminal justice system that has been unfair from the beginning. We're talking about a housing system that has been built on government-funded middle-class building of white families in Levittown and across the country. I mean, this is something I learned about in urban planning in my early career. And yet we're, we're talking, we're still using the narrative of fault that is so fraught with all of the winners and losers that we ourselves have created as a government in this country on the backs of the financial crisis, which this is all connected, right? People don't know how exactly they were fucked over to your point, Walker, but they know they were. They know that they were because they lost um, all of the value of you know their retirement or in their homes. They lost their jobs. Their jobs have been less secure, but somehow through all this, through the increased uh, speculation of the stock market, everyone who was on Wall Street got bailed out. And there's we haven't had any response to that. And this moment was a chance to take what progressives have been saying for several years now in the in the presidential election and doing something different about the reality we find ourselves in. And this this verbal, um, you know, like nothing burger, if, if, it, if you can be that fair about it, is what we got back. That is right. the best thinking of his team. And like, that is just endlessly frustrating. The idea that people have to be worthy for exactly. to have things like health care or, or housing is just insane to me. It's, it's so it's, wrong. It's so, it is so wrong. It's, it's offensively wrong. And so, yes. so one of the people in our comments, Amplifier Project asks, how can we make the people who are suffering be seen? Mainstream media is not showing us these realities. True, it, it is true, and and I think one of the ways is just talking about you know taking using our platforms to to highlight those stories. And so I wanted to just read a, a few that were sent to me yesterday, or or I shouldn't two days ago, um, because I think it's important when we talk in the context of this conversation about people not wanting a handout. So. So here's here's Carlos uh, said lost a full time job uh, lost a full time opportunity in IT and have been furloughed albeit taking online classes and staying with the family ever since applications turning up empty etc. It sucks but it's com- it was completely out of my control not a clue what my professional life looks like in the next year. Um, 
Somebody else says here in Massachusetts, parents who have a child in foster care are unable to get visits and see their child, sometimes limited to one hour a month. Parents aren't able to access the courts to file motions. It's a big problem. Somebody else said have, uh, having to go to work and routinely be in contact with people who have been tested, who have tested positive for COVID. Um, wondering if I'm eventually going to get sick. Like this, this is an abomination. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> so, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's just, it's just insane. I mean, and it's, it's. I'll read something. Yeah, please. Um, and this, this relates to a story that Walker did for the daily poster about the Shinnecock nation in, um, which is, uh, outside of Southampton. Um, and there, there, it's a great story. We'll put it in the, in the um, notes here on YouTube. Um, so I, I read it on Thanksgiving day and was, was inspired. Um, but they, they're, they're fighting for their sacred land and for their economic rights to put up billboards on the highway next to their nation. Um, but um, they do have a GoFundMe and it's called the Shinnecock Nation COVID-19 Relief Fund. Um, and since Thanksgiving, I think it's, they've raised over 3000 bucks. So that's, that's, that's good news. It's, it's going North, but um, the point is there's an update in December 1st and the organizer um, Teletrog wrote this. Um, you know, thank you to everyone who's contributed in the nine months since this fundraiser started. The pandemic has remained a challenge in all of our lives in our entire region, not just the Shinnecock. We're facing widespread food insecurity and a housing crisis, including homelessness. Um, and so they're saying any contributions to this fund is going directly towards COVID-19 supplies like masks, gloves, cleaning supplies, paper towels, toilet paper, diapers, personal goods, and food in bulk to distribute to tribal members. Um, you know, so, um, I mean, the, this is, this is an extremely poor, um, community of, of, uh, indigenous people who are facing homelessness, uh, during the winter, during a pandemic, they literally are seeking money for, for, you know, paper goods, masks, gloves. I mean, that, um, you know, th that, th those are people who need help. And, and, I, and yeah, the idea that, you know, oh, it's not their fault. Like they're, they're not looking for a handout, you know, no, like they, they, they've been wronged by society and they need our yeah. help. And they, they, frankly, I mean, we are the ones who have to help because the government is, is treats them like shit as they we, have for hundreds. We of should, years. we should reframe um, this discussion from help. They, people need help to people need government. They need yeah. their government because, because that at least that framing acknowledges something that is very, I think, essential to this discussion, which is that government has the, the role of government is to do these things. And by not yeah, doing yeah. these things, it is failing. It is failing the people. And just to say, it's a little different with a with with a Native American nation because they are their own government. So what they need is just more reparations and support from right. our government That's after true. the damages that we've done. But in, but the, the conversation is the same. Is is the, the you know the, the residents of this area need more like re, yeah need need resources that they don't have because of our crappy systems. So and I think you know I think before I mean so much I don't think this is new news I think we all, a lot of we all talk about this in different ways that our government systems and our social safety net has been set up to fail I mean you just look at NYCHA in New York City you build it and then you leave it and walk away for you know five decades and then you blame the people who live there or you know you have um, a disability a uh, social safety net that requires people to live in poverty. I mean, any of these things we basically create to fail. Um, but one thing that I've heard a lot in, you know, recent years was this idea, and I heard it a lot, you know, when I was in business school at Columbia and the like, that technology was going to save us and that these brilliant 
um, you know, unicorns were going to solve every problem. And, you know, I was working in urban planning in my twenties and Mark Zuckerberg came to, I think it was Newark and was like being contemplated as saving Newark. And meanwhile, you know, we were doing simple stuff like street sweeping and sanitation and the, and the basics that you're talking about Walker, just like basic things that are supposed to happen that you're not supposed to be forced to think about because your government is supposed to work for you. Meanwhile, we've, we have kind of moved to a whole model where we, we've been intentionally taught that government just doesn't work. So you got to find another solution and almost anything is better. And now we have all of these, um, powerful out, out, you know, players that, um, are, you know, winning the benefits of that. I mean, I would think even the logistics system of Amazon is very much the same way. And it just, I think that's also part of this conversation too, making government fail and look like it can't work and that it is the problem is a specific political strategy. And it pisses me off that our own leaders who are supposed to be the most brilliant minds leading this party feed into that narrative without even realizing it, which is what he's doing um, to your, like kind of respond to what you're saying, Walker. Yeah. I mean, it's just Biden. I mean, Biden really is a 1990s neoliberal Republican slash Democrat. Like there is no, like a very blurred line between, between the, between partisan affiliate at that point, I don't think partisanship really matters. and it and it's just coming it's so obvious like i feel like every day we're learning a little more that he's just completely not up for this and he he wasn't and it was obvious during the primary and you know i think that that was that's something that that democrats are going to have to grapple with that once again they they sort of missed an opportunity and unfortunately it looks like they're going to pay for it and the country's going to pay for it which you know like there there's no there is there is this retributive streak the whole the whole point of of today's episode is talking about this sort of retributive streak that exists in American politics. And it exists on the right very explicitly, um, but it also exists on the left or not, not the left, the, the left of center party. Yeah. Yeah. Like liberals, liberalism has a retributive streak that is very troubling. It's like, well, you know, we still don't want to reward those who are unworthy of of our assistance yeah. or who, who are below our compassion. And I, and I challenge people watching this to, to really open their minds to the idea that maybe nobody is below your, your compassion that, and, yeah. and, and, and shouldn't be, that there shouldn't be anybody below it because we are only as safe as our least protected person. And I think another great example of that is the homelessness crisis in New York. Um, we, I absolutely believe that on the whole, uh, homelessness is a truly a policy choice. And it's a combination of, of, of bad policies in mental health. And when we deinstitutionalize, we didn't replace the mental health care system with any kind of infrastructure to help people, outpatient or anything. I mean, we, it's, it's truly um, so nascent in terms of what we need to do in mental health. Our, our housing system... Um, even our voucher program, our shelter system are set up to fail and to force people to prefer to be on the streets um, from a safety standpoint. Yep. And all of, you know, I, I see it in so many different ways. And I agree wholeheartedly with people that it is it is not good for a community to see a lot of to have a lot of people experiencing homelessness. To your point, um, the way to deal with that 
is there's a clear set of policy objectives around housing, around mental health, around community organization support, all of these things that we're not doing. And that's why it's so heartbreaking to see someone like Joe Biden get out there and kind of completely miss the mark when there is such an opportunity to be doing more, especially when we talk about mental health. I mean, I think this is, I think we're all around the same age. Um, I think this is a generation where there's so much more opportunity to be real, to be real, to speak about real problems and move away from the ridiculous idea that um, we need to present a perfect front and this whole like, you know, oh, I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong, but I still want help. And I, you know, I want to be a big man or that, that's what I hear in all this. And it's just such an unfortunate thing, especially for a generation that's grown up kind of not even, I didn't even realize the, the, the water that I was swimming in until I became an adult and, you know, no longer agreed with the outcomes of the near attendance of the world. And I, you know, I also just do want to say, um, having been in state government, having been the job secretary for the state, I know who has, um, you know, the most finite power in a state or a federal government and running the OMB, running the, 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 the budget process, running, being the gatekeeper is probably, you know, of the most important of roles. And I think there were a lot of ways to signal um, very differently about not to progressives, to people who need help in this country. Like, forget talking to the left or progressives. Just talk about how you're going to help the country, not um, sort of excise your way through the problem, which is what um, Neera Tandon's literal experiences uh, in in federal government, working in the Clinton era primarily. So, 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 so Kurt asks... Going off a tweet from Ben Spielberg, why do y'all think Speaker Pelosi isn't drafting a standalone universal cash payment bill to quickly pass in the House? So I haven't been following too closely, but what I did read, I, I believe that allegedly the the payments, yeah, the cash payment, which actually Biden did say it would be better if it had the $1,200 to have another repeat of the $1,200 uh, one time, I believe, but you know, it's better than nothing. Um, I believe the, the line is that that would derail the entire, the big bill. So maybe that's why, that's why Spielberg is asking because the Republicans don't want it. So uh, why, why don't they do a standalone? I don't know. I don't see why not. I mean, they, she should have been doing standalone bills since, since March. Um, just, just signaling to everyone, to voters. Again, this is before the election saying, Hey, we passed this, this standalone bill. Mitch won't put it on the floor. The Republicans are blocking your aid. And I don't know why not. And that she still won't do it. So um, especially if it's, if, if putting it into the, the big bill, the compromise bill that will pass, if, if that's an obstacle, then yeah, just do it. I don't see why not. It, yeah, it seems to me the most obvious thing in the world, like get people direct payments right now, a simple, yeah. clean bill and put it on McConnell and make him explain why not. Like, where's the, you know, why that, that to me makes political sense. Cause then people are like, Oh, that's direct money to me. That that's, that's easy for me to translate into a tangible benefit to my life. And, and Biden might call it a handout, but he'll still support it because he just he he said the other day it'd be, it'd be, we should have that, you know. So okay, I mean, twelve hundred dollars isn't even enough. Uh, but <laughs> and I, I I was you know really interested in this because 
the bottleneck it took even in New York alone to get people their unemployment checks, given the level of, you know, independent contractors or the gig economy that we have, we have all these logistical operational challenges with even getting people the emergency unemployment that they needed. And we have all these logistical challenges for having assistance reach the small businesses. So the best way to deal across the board with that is absolutely to give people checks. That is that is the the fastest way to stave like to tourniquet the problem when we have a challenge of actually reaching the people who need it the most and the other avenues that we've tried. And it's just um, I can't speak for Nancy Pelosi because I really don't think that she should be speaker. Um, I don't think she should run again. I think that someone should be brave and courageous and challenge her. Um, oh, you man. know, it just shouldn't happen. It's just crazy to me that in 2018, it was the cool thing to do when you're running for a house to say, I will oppose Pelosi as speaker for another term. I mean, that was what everyone was doing. Um, and I, I, allegedly she sort of gave permission to incumbents to even do that because she was like oh well it's probably if it's good for your campaign sure you can you can rage against me it doesn't matter i'm gonna win it's fine um and i i believe that they put uh, the the left couldn't really figure out someone to put up so so but the more even even more conservative democrats in the house did find someone i forget who it was might have been tim ryan or one of those guys um so yeah. you know and and they didn't do that well but i mean look i i give them credit for at least trying Putting someone yeah. up there to, to combat Pelosi, even though they would have been more conservative probably than Pelosi. I, I just, I respect them for trying. And this time around, everyone was like so focused on, I think, on the top of the ticket, they were, you know, for, for, for Trump to lose that they, they didn't really have time to mobilize. Um, and, and I think it's, look, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, you've, you've done it, Lindsay. You ran against an entrenched incumbent, a very, someone very difficult to beat, but he yeah. had to actually work. He had to do something. He had to go do yeah. a debate. He had to raise probably more, spend a little more time raising money. Um, you know, if Pelosi has to has to have a challenge every time, if she expects that challenge, she might try a little harder. Um, and, and I think it's really a shame she that no be one. Speaker. <laughs> I mean, how do I mean, we get I, so? I, how, how do we get so far from humility that people don't realize when there's an opportunity to give someone else the microphone. I, 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 I really, I tell my husband this all the time when I get to a position of power, like wrote me off the stage when it's time for me to be, you know, when others can speak more cogently about the problems we're facing and how to deal with them and relate to people better. Um, then it's your time to pass the torch. Yeah, and if you're 80 years old and you're worth $114 million, you probably shouldn't be, uh, leading the, no matter wh who else is is next, you probably shouldn't be in charge of the entire. I mean, the, the whole thing is like it's just it kind of reminds me of like a reunion tour for a band that is that is like, <laughs> way too enough. old and, and and no longer has the edge. Like maybe like I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna piss somebody off if I name a band, but I might in invariably. But go for it. <laughs> but my my impulse is to be like this is like a this is like a, a Rolling Stones reunion tour, like. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like okay, okay, wait, wait. What if what if I said like Kiss or something? Like there you go. You know, some some band that that used to be like edgy and and and, and yeah. you know all of, all of this uh, this sort of new energy around it, and now today is just like old hat, like and like like they're like they were getting the old Obama gang back together. Oh, we're gonna bring hope and change back into back into D.C. through market market approved means and like. I'm like just just stop 
please, please pass as uh, who was it that said pass the torch? They were right. Pass the torch. Yeah, that was, I think that was, was that Julian Castro? And then as a result, he didn't get invited to the DNC during Joe Biden's speech. I mean, there was a tremendous amount of malicious. And he has no, that, he's not going to be part of the administration either. No, um, no. And, and by the way, he, he's one of the bright, I think the next generation's bright lights, personally. Swalwell. My view. It was Swalwell. Oh, Swalwell. Swalwell. Yes. Yeah. All right. Swalwell. Yeah. He yeah. was doing the, just, he was doing like the, um, <laughs> he was doing like the, the Joe Kennedy oh, argument. Yeah. I'm just younger. So you should give me the torch. Cause I'm just younger. Yeah. That, that was all he had uh whereas there are a lot of people of, of his his age around i think he's probably around 40 ish um 40 early 40 yeah who, who are well who, who have actually cool ideas and, and want to change the system um you know but but it, it i i think i mean i sure hope that in 2022 i mean pelosi said has said at one point that that this is going to be her last term as speaker i don't necessarily believe it i mean diane feinstein's like 86 87 and she just got reelected to a six-year term I, I think power is really corrupting so there's that um that but true. you know so uh, but either way, I think that the, the, the handful of real leftists in Congress should really be planning a, a major challenge to Pelosi speakership in, in, in two years. Or, I just or, think it's so surreal that we're talking about like leftists as if this is some fringe reality and not a response <laughs> to the, the, the reality of the world. I mean, I, I've always, you know, I'm like not cool. I went, to, I, I'm like super type A. I, 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 you know, I believed in, I, I interned on Capitol Hill. I would skip school to go to listen to congressional hearings. I'm a super nerd. And I have come to a huge awakening about our Democratic Party. At like, And it's because we're not, it's not cutting it. And we're not even seeing people's problems and talking to the, those problems. And we're not reaching people. And we're not doing enough to help. We're repeating old records. And not that I don't, I'm not proudly a progressive or would consider myself a leftist, but this whole idea that it's some kind of like, I know it's, it's like a little fringe movement is so wrong, especially when, you know, we're talking about 40 year olds getting into positions of power. But if you look what's coming down the timeline, my niece, the younger people that work for me don't want to have kids. They don't think the world is going to be around. They don't see a value in going to a four-year college because it's too expensive and they don't think it'll help them. They're taking care of, you know, my niece is taking care of my, my brother-in-law um, who's on disability. You know, they're staying in their home. There's so much to be dispirited by in this moment in time. And if we can't get people like Nancy Pelosi to um, be humble about some Gen X and millennial people, they're missing the whole wave that of pain that's coming that we should be confronting head on, especially around the environment and around inequality. It's just, it's, um, it's, you know, I want to be on the right side of history, but I also just know it's coming. You well, know? Matt, Matt Stoller made this point that this gerontocracy just doesn't want to <laughs> give up its, its path. Like they won't even, they won't even pass the torch to the next generation of centrists. So yeah. like, like you have the you know Pete Buttigieg types who are are patiently waiting in the wings for their for, for their time to to come and and uh, yeah. ex- extract as much wealth as they can from from politics, <laughs> um, but like they're not even being elevated by this party. 
And I mean, it, we'll see. He has, Biden might elevate him to. He, he, he might. He might give him some some position. But believe me, he'll be passed over. For, but he's not a congressional leader. Yet. For right. an older, I mean, more established statesman. I mean, like we have to break this. Like, look, at a certain point, we have to not be afraid to tell people you're too old. You need to retire. Your ideas. I'm going to leave old. that to you and Alex, but you go do that. <laughs> yes. No, but like, look, look, like, like, we shouldn't be having these politicians who are held together by like glue and 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 hair dye and disdain for working people. Like, I, I said this the last time, but it's it's true. Like, it's like, you know, they're they're like Frankenstein monsters at this point. Like, just political animals that have crept out of the ooze that is DC politics, and they're like, we're never going to let go. People are dying because they don't, they fundamentally are detached from and don't have really any concern for the problems that people are facing. It is Diane Feinstein December. hugging Lindsey Graham. Diane Feinstein hugging Lindsey Graham after yeah. the Amy Coney Barrett hearings and saying and that's that, an that was This is great. Issue. This is, yeah. But like, like I think that's December. an era that's, that's someone, I don't, it's like, it's, it, there's age is one thing, and I, I'm kind of of two minds about it. I think it's more about yeah. policy than age. And, and like, you know, Bernie Sanders is 78. He totally yeah, understands millennials sure. and, and Gen X. Absolutely. Gen Z. He's great. <laughs> yeah. um, right. So, like, it's not just about age, but I, I think, like, in a lot of cases, like you mentioned, Feinstein basically, like, endorsing the sham hearing for Coney Barrett by hugging Graham. I mean, that's, that's her being. Uh, being a, like an artifact of a different era when like yes. that kind of stuff like people did work together like there was but Lindsey Graham used to be a pretty yeah. bipartisan guy until his mentor John McCain died um, so I mean like that that's like that's like a it is an age thing because she comes from such a different era of the past that like she's mapping it onto the present and someone and like Biden is exactly the same era like that but, that's, but that's, even then there's there's the age thing in that like in that like solutions, big government solutions fell out of style in the 1980s. And so Pelosi comes from the Reagan era. Neera Tandem said that she was a fan of, of Reagan when she tell, told her life story about how her mom was on, was on um, welfare and then went and worked as a, as a, as a, um, what was it? A, tra a uh, travel agent for Raytheon and then moved up and right through Raytheon. And then yeah. look, they um, did it. So no one needs Medicare. For I, all just think, I think this is very funny okay. because so no my father, after being a Marine worked at Raytheon and like, I don't know where Nira and I went off in totally mm -hmm. different directions in the world, but um, well, it's nothing to do with working for Raytheon. A lot of people work for, <laughs> yeah. for shitty companies, but it's, it's that she was a fan of Reagan. And then Pelosi was like a big fan of Reagan. And Bill Clinton was a big fan of, Re they all loved, they all loved Ronald Reagan. Probably the man most responsible for the decline that we are in today, the tailspin I think that we're in today is well, that era of that. I mean, you know, Nixon into yeah. Reagan really, I mean, that, that, that was us going away from FDR from, from the, the but even Nixon society. gave us the EPA, like let's, right. you know, yeah, like be a, a Bureau of land management too. Yeah. Like yeah. let's let like the, the real small government like stuff and, and Bill Clinton was really damaging. I mean, he really, yeah. he really hurt the democratic party. Um, yeah. And so we just, we need politicians who can think outside of that narrow little, little time period. I mean, they're still, and you know, it's the cold war. So you still get some of that with the Russia stuff. Like yeah. you, it's all of it. You get the whole, the whole package. It's like, it's new again. We're, you know, we're back. We're back, baby. It's like, you're not, you're going to relegate okay. yourselves. So well, I, let me take this. Uh, this could, 
Well, go ahead, Lindsay. No, I'll, go ahead, Alex. Go ahead, Alex. Well, okay. I wanted to just transition um, because we're talking about new people in politics. Um, you uh, started a new campaign recently. You're running yeah. for Manhattan Borough President, right? Yes, yes, yes. And and I think, you know, people are like, what it, you know, what is that? How does it relate? Are you are you someone who just loves to run for office? And, you know, in general, I, one thing I was going to say earlier, um, especially if you want to kind of go by your own sense of ethics and what you think is right, it's definitely a Steve Prefontaine kind of fight, like where you're just sucking wind the whole time. And I just figure most of my career, I'm going to be sucking wind because I... If I stand behind the person who is the governor of my state in order to get where I'm going, I'm going to I'm going to continue to get a lot of like dirt on me that I don't want. Um, and so you kind of have to go your own way. And the congressional race for me was how do I help my community? Uh, I don't think the congressman, although he's not perceived as conservative, has done that much to actually help his community. And, you know, before this crisis um the rent the 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 level of rent burden people who are so housing insecure in probably one of the wealthiest districts in the country uh it was astronomical and that's only gotten much worse now um the level of inequality in a district like that and you know we didn't win obviously it would have been great to win um i spent some time this summer kind of just thinking what do i want to do do i want to I want to write. I don't really want to write about myself. It's a little exhausting to do that. <laughs> I was walking around the city and I remembered my first decade in work, which was all about urban planning. So I was managing public parks, including Bryant Park and, you know, um, everything from horticulture to sanitation to public events and the like. And I just loved it. And I remembered how much the experience of having good quality public realm, public space contributes to livability and quality of life. And I know we're going into a time where we're going to have far fewer resources. Unfortunately, we're probably going to have, we're going to have a governor who's an austerity governor. We're likely to have a mayor who is some version of an austerity mayor. And we need someone who's going to say, I don't care what I'm working with. We're going to do more uh, to deal with inequality, uh, livability, and sustainability and resiliency around climate change. And so this job, Manhattan Borough President, is basically all that. It's around urban planning, land use, zoning, community boards, which sounds kind of wonky, and it is. But luckily for Manhattan, I'm a super nerd. I've always been that way. And the combination of being, you know, an urban planner and then spending the next decade in job creation, that's exactly what it needs. It needs someone who's going to be its advocate to fight with the governor, which I'm pretty sure you know I already do. Um, to fight with the mayor if I need to, or be on the same side, um, to think bigger than one city council district. So my city council district is Corey Johnson's. It's one of the wealthiest in the city. I wouldn't want to be a city councilor to the district when we have a whole borough to think through. And frankly, if we help Manhattan, we're going to help the whole of New York City recover, which is what it's all about. It's not just our central business district, it's our cultural center, our historic center, um, the problems that happen if we go to cas catastrophic cuts within the MTA, the problems that happen um, if we don't figure out how to educate our kids in our public school system, all of these things are going to connect to land use, community boards, and zoning. And so that's why I'm running. And luckily, I chose an open seat this time. I've got some name recognition now. 
And I'm running against three dudes, two of whom I've gotten more votes than in Manhattan. So hmm. I'm hoping that all of our progressive friends uh, find out about the race and help me because it's not just a wonky role. It's about how do we help recovery? And frankly, how do we try and create new models for like what you were saying earlier, Walker, about, you know, how do we how do we how do we make a different case about what the usefulness of government is and why it matters and who it should work for? And that's kind of what I'm trying to do here. So tell everybody where they can find you. Lindsay for New York. Um, they can find me on Twitter, which I'm usually giving an opinion and you guys see it. But um, Lindsay for New York is our website. And uh, I would love and appreciate all the help, especially from New Yorkers, uh, financial and volunteer, all of it. And, you know, our progressive family has gotten me really far thus far. And I'm just really I'm humbled by it. I'm really appreciative of it. And uh, I'm going to be sucking wind my whole career. Steve Prefontaine you know, style, but that's how I want it to be. So that means I need help from um, people who believe in what I'm trying to do. Fantastic. Can I ask one quick, one, one quick yeah. question, even though we're kind of harping it. Um, yeah. You mentioned God, Alex. Um, <laughs> obviously, I got to get this one in. Homelessness in New York, obviously, is a huge problem. I think something like 60,000 homeless families, probably more since that's more than that. Many more because of, of COVID-19. Yeah. Um, does the Manhattan Borough President position offer opportunities, you know, to, to work, to, to reform that system, yes. to improve that system. Huge, huge. So even this controversy, you've probably heard a lot about at the Lucerne on the Upper West Side of, you know, potentially yeah. moving 200 men from the Upper West Side uh, hotel that they've been staying at to mm -hmm. the financial district that's basically been optically about issues around livability, but really has become very ugly and has, has become a battle over who can sort of say not in my community. The Manhattan Borough president would be at the center of that. So how do they force the mayor to not make short-sighted decisions that um, hurt communities or really only respond to the powerful communities and instead um, have a broad vision of how the hell are we going to deal with the homelessness crisis how are we going to deal with it in every community? What does that mean for increasing the value of housing vouchers so that they actually cover market rate, you know, apartments? How do we get people in this time out of congregate shelters and some are much safer? Um, how do we think about um, more programs that have been successful, like the blueprint, blueprint program that actually bases uh, social services around people who need add-on wraparound services? How do we do all these things? And it's in many cases ends up being a lot about land use and zoning issues and the community board, the fun stuff, which is exactly, yeah, which is exactly what the Lucerne issue has been a very bad example of because we didn't have a mayor who's on one level, a good planner, brave, courageous leadership. And even aside from all that, you know, the normative judgments, he just doesn't know how to approach an idea with a plan. And a lot of what we need is what are our goals for housing how do we eradicate homelessness? How do we provide more, not just affordable, but deeply affordable and workforce housing? And how does each community have a responsibility to that? And I think you'll also see that um, the resentment and um, tension around uh, rezoning processes in the city is in many cases largely connected to, in what I view as the mayor's lack of vision around a lot of these things um, and communicating that to people. So that's what this job is all about, Alex. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's good to hear, especially because um, something that's aggravated me my whole adult life is that Democrats when campaigning hardly ever talk about the poor. It's all yep. middle-class, middle-class, middle-class. I was watching some near videos that Walker uh, was, had basis reporting on middle-class, 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 never talk about the poor. 
you know, I don't know if Biden's going to mention the poor, but, you know, um, I think that honestly, that's good campaigning to me. If you're talking about the, the least served you know, population, the people who need the most, uh, I guess, instead of, instead of saying help, who need a, a better and bigger government. Yeah. Um, that's really important because that's a whole group of voters that get totally ignored. And it's also yeah. just the most important because they're, the, well, they're struggling. Well, it's, the sh it's the shame thing. It's the, the, yeah. the, that, that the uh, Lindsay thing. was talking about earlier. That, that there That's is why this, it makes me so angry. Yeah, that there's this shame attached to being poor as though these, yeah. these folks aren't really worthy. Like the middle class, those people have made something of themselves. The hardest working people in this country are the working poor. Yeah, and, it's and, the hardest. And, it's hardest to be poor. It's the right. most expensive and, to be and, poor. And frankly, frankly, economic contribution is not an indication of of worth, whether no. or not you are worthy of basic human dignity. Like this, no. this whole the whole conversation. That, just to bring us back to the start, the whole conversation is off because we treat we treat things that government should just be doing for everybody yeah. as rewards. Yes. For those who have who are who are deemed worthy, and that is completely perverse. Um, yes. The last thing, Lavelle asks, why does Pelosi still uh, want to be speaker? Oh wait, sorry, I want to go to the question before that, um, which is, what's your reaction to the to the nine hundred billion dollar stimulus bill? Stimulus in scare quotes. Yeah. Um, as 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 everybody here knows, that came with a. Uh, that comes with a temporary corporate liability shield uh, so yep. that if you get, if you get sick on the job, you have to, you know, you have no recourse. So my reaction is obviously that's great. That's the, that's clearly the best thing we can do. <laughs> um, but I would be curious to, to get your reactions to that before we wrap this up. I mean, if I just keep going back to, you know, when I was running for Congress, um, I was obviously watching a lot of the congressional hearings, the impeachment proceedings, all of these um, hearings pretty carefully. And I was struck not just by the inefficiencies, but the archaic nature of Congress and how out of touch. I mean, I don't always agree with everything Rashida Tlaib says. We find ourselves on a similar part of the party. But she was saying something about another member of a hearing and they forced her to strike her comments from the record because it was too personal about another member. I mean, what a ridiculous system. We are not allowed to say anything. And this does have a point. Um, so much of our congressional process needs to be revamped and modernized. I'm not all for like modernizing like that's going to help everything. But it's so out of touch with the pain points of the American people that, like, to our point earlier, like, why haven't we just gone straight to um, an emergency um, UBI, I like to call it, or, or some version of that alone? It's because we've, we've corrupted the system so much that it's so out of touch with how to actually help people. And that needs to be really changed. And that's why someone like Nancy can't stay in her position. And Alex, I know that you're a big fan of corporate liability shields. Yeah, well, I mean that—that's—that's the—the that's, thing is, you know, people have claimed that the reason why Pelosi rejected the 1.8 trillion dollar um, possible deal, which was available several months ago, was because it included the corporate liability shield, and then now we have a we have a bill that's half that, 
and it has the corporate liability shield in it. And she's she's promoting. She's I'm really happy with where we are. We Biden won. Now we can do our our, our relief. You just um, don't understand so the chess, Alex. Yeah. Oh my like, god. Yeah. And then and then critiquing members of the press for asking her that. Like yeah, she's getting really nasty with the press. Actually, that's 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 kind of very Trumpy. Very very disturbing. It's just well, it's just weird because we've had this president who who calls us the enemies of the people and everything, and she can't take a couple reasonable questions. Um, without those are reasonable assailing. questions. They're very yeah. It's, it's weird. It's point. weird how defensive she is, and I think I think that you it's know she like just she knows speak- that she fucked well, up. Well, but she, <laughs> you're right. But she she just one speaker again. She's going to be in the same party as the president. Um, so kind of probably meaning maybe have slightly more power. Maybe she's just kind of high herself. I don't know. But um, I mean, I, I, any obviously nine hundred billion is not nearly enough, and one point eight no. trillion wasn't nearly enough. Um, but I, I have to, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's like, people are so desperate, like people yeah. need something. And I believe people this bill money. has, I mean, it's literally going to be like a month or two of like 300 bucks a week extra. Uh, for. Uh, it's like so sad. I mean, it's, it's, it's not so much, sad. but it's like, okay, just give, yes. give people something. Cause no, like, we got to make it through another month, but, but there's no eviction moratorium I and mean, things like January one. I mean, these evil landlords are going to be kicking millions of people out of their homes. The I mean, only thing I would say on that, though, is like, I think it was Miles Howard. He brought up a good point about, and I feel this way, which is so much of why my ire and other people's and yours, too, I bet, is focused at the state and local level. Like, there's the federal issue, and we need the support. But things like the um, evictions moratorium, housing issues... There's also levers at the state and local level, yeah. which people need to be pushing now. And the fact that like we're still having a conversation in New York about taxing our wealthiest brackets more extensively cool. or that we're still contemplating carried interest loopholes is just it's really um, well, again, it's like, like that, like handout stuff. And it's no surprise yeah. to me that Biden and Cuomo are best friends. Uh, that's the, how I knew the, that the he wasn't going to be some great guy. Wealth will Cuomo endorsed Biden state. very they'll, early. They'll, they'll he was leave. one of the first high-profile people to endorse Joe Biden. Like early Biden was at his his state convention for re-election. They go way back. They're the best of friends. It's so it's just so it's so ridiculous. I mean, we <laughs> we ask him because his um, nothing the, will fundamentally change. The New York State Legislature was trying to increase taxes on the wealthy, and Cuomo's response is well the wealth will flee the state and as somebody who grew up in um in the hamptons uh i have to say that that is a patently ridiculous oh, it's, it's a total lie it's not borne out they're, by evidence they're not, People are not they're, gonna not they're all like they're not going to just move they're not going to move to another state because they have to pay slightly more in taxes it's, just, it's absurd right. sometimes it's, business if, if you increase corporate taxes enough uh, it's really more about unionization like that you, is you a really undertaxed area by the way there is just so much wealth yeah. that is that is not being that is not being appropriately taxed yes and it's all on but it's all look, on Native the, American the land. Individual, That's the other part these, of this that is really that is really just obscene. But these like, individuals are not going to move. And by the way, it also goes the other way around. Like people were like, "Oh, you know, we kicked Amazon out. I mean, what's going to happen?" And then like Bezos moves, buys a giant apartment in New York. It's just absurd. Yeah. People live where they want to live. You know, especially yes, if people really live wealthy. where they want to live. And <laughs> if they're really if wealthy, anything, if anything, you know that. I know a bunch of people who left and either went to the Hamptons or they went upstate. A lot of people did not leave the state itself. And Pete, so that is the appropriate well, they probably reason have why a second taxes are left. Of, the, 
state level adjudicated at the state level and he should be doing that um well well, it's status they care more about status than the actual amount that they pay you could charge the wealthy in this state 100 percent of their of their income and they uh, you know obviously graduated but there would be people who would be bragging about the fact that they they pay 100 percent tax rate that is that is what matters more than anything it's legacy and status but certainly the pedicure tax stuff you know like having a pituitary in the city of New York for sure. Yeah. Why, why aren't we taxing vacant apartments? There are like 87,000 vacant apartments in New York city, at least a couple as of a couple of years ago. I'm not sure what it's at now. I'm sure it's a lot more because well, if have- you're on the West side of Manhattan where I live during the middle of shelter in place, there were entire buildings that had no lights on entire buildings. How many you know? people are, are on the street today in New York? I mean, in, in 2018, it was like 3,500 on the street and then 60,000. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, the, the thing that scares me over a hundred thousand students are homeless or experiencing, um, you know, homeless uh, housing insecurity in the shelter system. And that was before all this. So this I think is, it's probably doubled. Yeah. This is a crisis of our own making and it's one that yes. we could fix overnight by yes. just well, putting people in unoccupied. And yeah, it, the point that you make, Lindsay, is, is very important. And I was saying this two, two days ago in our last uh, video stream, is that like, you know, we got a Biden administration coming in, like it's looking good. It, they're not going to make sweeping changes, right? There's going to be some minor improvements. I think it's not going to be enough. Um, so the local and state level, but especially the local level is really where change can happen the, yes. the most quickly. And so, I mean, I'm guilty of, uh, as a journalist, mostly covering national federal politics. And I, I want to get more into the, the state and local because that that really is is so important. And we also have a dearth that local media is dying out. And so that's another, yes. it's, it's a, it, that's also really damaging. I mean, Gotham Gazette this week right. was, you know, wondering if they could stay afloat. And that's been a good, you know, a government accountability group for a long time, you know, backed by Citizens Union. I used to be on their board before I went to work for the state. Um DNA info. I recently unearthed an article um, where I was talking about Manhattan's best bathroom that I managed, <laughs> and I had to. And it was in DNA info, and that's not even around anymore, yeah. right? Yeah, that was uh, killed by Joe by right wing billionaire Joe Ricketts. That was complete okay. union busting there. Um, so yeah, I mean the the two go hand in hand. I think is like politics and, and media, right? Um, yes. You need. I mean, they the two need each other. Yes. Um, uh, and and so um, that's a whole nother discussion, but I, oh I do God. think that yes. it's yeah. important to it's important to emphasize how important local uh, it is. local politics are. You know. So listen, I think we've we've kept Lindsay longer than I said we were going to. Oh, and it's I, dark. I'm like, no, no, I I apologize. Well, I need to take a stroll myself. And I need to go to the grocery store. I I enjoyed this. It was um. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity. Uh, thank you yeah. so much for coming on. It's fantastic. I hope you'll come on again. I hope we, we didn't. Awesome. I hope I hope we weren't too uh, abrasive for your for your campaign. Are you kidding? No, no. Well, so my favorite <laughs> thing to do is I in another life I would have loved to have been a comedian because I can say all the things that like I think as a politician. So I go on with comedians all the time, and they're like, yeah. "I hate that," but you know, why'd you do that? So no, I'm very used to it. <laughs> this is not. This is fun. Just just blame us. We're the ones who lack decorum. <laughs> yeah. Not not. Well, not, notice when there's something I don't want to say, I'm just like. <laughs> so yeah no but i enjoyed it thank you both so much and yeah, thank you a lot oh sorry i interrupted you alex here i am interrupting you all the time it was it you're was so good to me phrase. but keep us keep us uh keep us posted Lindsay. Yeah. i will i will thank you both very thanks much for thanks for coming on awesome. and thank you everybody for watching uh we hope you'll tune in the next time we do one of these live shows and now There's i'm going live. to end this and figure out how to end the stream sooner than i did last time <laughs> <laughs>
I don't even know how to do any of it. <laughs> it's, fair. It's, it's difficult. It's not as easy as you'd think. Uh, the last time I left, the, it, it accidentally was stream, thought it was streaming for seven hours before oh I realized, my God. oh, wait, is there's that a- like, were you in your house? What, who is that like journalist? <laughs> well, no, 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 no. So th- thank, thank God, no. Um, and I no, have no these, Jeffrey Tubin moments. I have yeah. these little, these, these, I have these camera covers. So like, that's, I'm gonna get one of those. Like, I put should. a Hello Kitty bandaid for yeah. my daughter on mine, but I still, it still freaks me out. Every everybody should get the get the camera covers. It's really yeah. scary. They can they can hack your your phone and your computer, and it's yeah. Um, anyway, yes. Take care, everybody. Thank um, you, guys. And yeah, tune in next time. Talk to you soon. Take care. Audio editing by Alex Koch. Original theme music by Direwolf. Published by Opt Out News.